So glad that you could join us today. Hey, let's look back. In 1853, America hosted the first World's Fair in New York City. The first World's Fair. The organizers built an exhibition hall called the Crystal Palace to showcase their latest and greatest invention. And there was a man named Elisha Otis who stole the show, pulling off a stunt for the ages. Marketing genius, right? Otis was the inventor of the elevator safety brake. He had a hard time selling these at that point in time. Uh, there were safety first skeptics. And uh, so, so here's what he did. Uh, you could see the artist's rendering here on the screen, but Otis stood on a platform high above the Crystal Palace and he had an axe man positioned above him, uh, the elevator shaft that was kind of holding him up, right? And he eventually got everybody's attention and he yelled, cut the rope! The axe man whoosh, cuts the rope and he fell just a few feet before his break kicked in. Otis announced, all is safe, ladies and gentlemen, all is safe. The safety brake worked as so did his sales pitch, right? Like, what a sales pitch. When Elisha Otis cut the rope, there were only a few buildings in New York City that were five stories tall. Why? Nobody wanted to climb stairs higher than five stories. No one at all. So in 1854, one year later, Otis installed an elevator in a building on Broadway, and the rest is history. By 1908, there were 538 buildings in New York City that qualified as skyscrapers. Fast forward 100 years, and now Otis Elevator Company claims that the equivalent of the world's population rides on its elevators every three days. Every three days. I think it's safe to say that Elisha Otis turned the world upside down. How did he do it? There comes a moment when you need to cut the rope. Uh, I remember reading Mark Patterson's book, Wild Goose Chase. It was actually while I was in the season of praying whether we should start a church in Bonnie Lake. And uh, we were in a three-week prayer and fasting time, my wife and I, and just saying, Man, what do we, you know, do we do this? Do we not do this? And I'm reading Mark Batterson's book, and I got to the quote that said, Jesus didn't die on the cross to keep us safe. Jesus died to make us dangerous. Starting a church for us was cutting the rope of security of, like, employment, <laughs> of, of being in a church that had been established for a long time, and the security of that, and walking away from that, that was a, that was a cut the rope moment for us. This year, I've been praying uh, for pioneers. I've been praying for those who would uh, be raised up as disciples in such a, a way that they would be courageous enough to do new things, to try things that would expand the kingdom, develop our relationship with Jesus deeper, and do things that have yet to be done, see things that have yet to be seen, and sometimes starting by ourselves. You probably feel like Elisha owed us above a crowd risking everything because I'm just going to try again. 
In this series, we've been looking at some habits, right? And kind of three segments. The first one was uh, looking at burying dead yesterdays by flipping the script and kissing the wave. Uh, the second two habits involved winning the day, and that was eat the frog, fly the kite. And now we land in the final three habits of this series as we look at imagining unborn tomorrows. And the habit is cut the rope today, right? Our big idea is playing it safe is risky. Playing it safe is, is the most risky thing we can do. The greatest risk would be taking no risk at all. Since our rope cutter in 1853 was named Elisha, I figured it'd be very fitting in uh, grabbing the passage of scripture where Elisha received his call from Elijah. I always get those mixed up when I'm talking about them, but let's jump into 1 Kings 19, 19 uh, to guide us. It says, so Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. And you could pronounce that any way you want. I Googled it and Shaphat, 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 Shaphat. Anyway, he was plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field. Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Seahawks fan, I think, right? Elijah went over to him, threw his cloak across his shoulders, and then walked away. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah, and said to him, first let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, then I will go with you. Elijah replied, go on back, but think about what I've done to you. So Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire and roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople and they all ate. And then he went with Elijah as his assistant. This moment was very, very significant. Talk about a cut the rope type moment. Elijah's cloak, when he puts that on Elisha, that was a, a, his prophetic mantle. So he was a prophet. And by putting his cloak on Elisha, it was saying to Elisha, you're going to become a prophet. And Elisha had to have known this, obviously. Uh, it was denoting his new call because he expressed, his response expressed some crazy zeal, right? He's there plowing with his oxen and he left them and he didn't just make his way to find Elisha or Elijah. Man, I can't get it right, right? Uh, he, he didn't just make his way to Elijah. Elisha ran. He ran. He had a zealous response. Elijah makes it clear to Elisha though, that I'm not forcing this call on you. I see this call on you, but I consider what I've done to you, he says. like He's like, you can go back to your parents and then not come back and follow me. But he didn't. He went back to his parents and he went to that 12th pair of oxen at least and he, uh, he offered them up he, as, a, as a goodbye to his family. He burnt the plows because he was going to chase after unborn tomorrows without the anchor of the past getting in his way. That is intense, right? 
According to psychologist Tom Gilovich, at the end of our lives, 84% of our regrets will not be the mistakes we made, but the opportunities we missed. The opportunities we missed. It's the things that we would have, could have, should have done, but didn't do that will come back and they're called inaction regrets. God doesn't want us to have inaction regrets. He wants us to choose to follow boldly. Um, you'll experience a few fails, a few falls. Uh, cutting the rope is the way that we cut the ribbon on our dreams, if you will. It's the grand opening to what's next. And Elisha killed his oxen, burned his plows. He cut the rope. How do we do this? Well, we have to let go and we have to pursue the future. Uh, we have to quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death, right? Thought one, you have to let go. In his book, Deep Work, Georgetown professor Cal Newport talks about a concept he calls the grand gesture, the grand gesture. It takes a few different forms. It can be a romantic gesture, like getting down on a knee to propose in marriage. It can be a physical gesture, like taking one of those uh, before pictures that uh, before you go on a diet or start a workout routine and you post it publicly for accountability, right? That's a grand gesture that I'm gonna get in shape. Uh, it could be a creative gesture, like the one-way missionaries who centuries ago would pack their belongings in a coffin instead of a suitcase because they knew they were gonna go take the gospel somewhere and they would never return. It was a one-way trip. Simply put, grand gesture, a grand gesture is a defining decision, a calculated risk, a selfless sacrifice that doubles as a defining moment in your life. Man, can you recall some grand gestures in your own life. You can always share them in the comments if you feel open. But on October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther posted 95 theses on the doors of the castle church. On December 1st, 1955, Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat on a bus in Montgomery, Alabama. On May 25th, 1961, John F. Kennedy said, we would land a man on the moon, return him safely to the earth by the end of the decade. Any way you slice it or dice it, the genesis of the Protestant Reformation, the civil rights movement, the space race, those were all grand gestures. When it comes to goal setting, problem solving, habit forming, grand gestures are one of those small steps and they're one giant leap. They're the point of no return. Now, uh, I know those are amazing moments that I cited with Martin Luther, Rosa Parks, John F. Kennedy, but they can be simple moments in our life. They could be deeply purposeful and personal. Uh, and I'll share mine. I got a note this week from my mom. On my 49th birthday, one more year and I'll start with fives in my age. That is crazy. I do not feel that old, but my hair does. Um, writing, uh, she was writing to me just uh, the grand gesture she experienced before God, having no idea that I was sharing this talk. And, and mom, you're probably watching because you do every week. So I'm excited to have you here. Uh, but in 1971, 
she already had two boys and and she had already tried to have a third child, but it resulted in a miscarriage. Uh, my two older brothers would have had a sister in between uh, my next oldest brother and myself. But the doctors at that point in time told her due to the risks, she should not try to have additional children and she would not have additional children. And she did not want, my mom did not want to accept this. Uh, and she penned this by hand to remind me, as it was a reminder for her, that she prayed to God that he would give her another son. And if he did, she would pray uh, that he would offer his life and service to God as a preacher. Um, I don't know if you've read 1 Samuel 1, but you can see a similar story there with Hannah. She was uh, wanting to have a child and felt that she was the scorn, you know, of, of her community. She wanted to have a child so bad that she offered this child to the Lord all the days of his life. God granted her with a son and relieved her anguish. And so she dedicated Samuel to the Lord and he served the Lord all of his days. My birthday is a reminder of God's faithfulness in an annual moment for my mom to reflect on this grand gesture before the Lord and the power of God's blessings, the power of his provision and his miracle. Somehow, I found my way to God 21 years after I was born and uh, chose to follow him. And a couple years later, chose to step into this offering of prayer. My mom prayed so many years prior to step into ministry. Uh, what a miracle that she had the boldness to pray a prayer like that, a grand gesture prayer, if you would. Man, have you ever noticed how many times people do this in scripture? They do it in the form of altars as well, right? How many times they build these? It seems like they'll go a little ways, something will happen, they'll build an altar. Why do you suppose they do this? Because we have a natural tendency to remember what we should forget and forget what we should remember. Altars help us remember what God doesn't want us to forget. And they give us a sacred place to go back to while allowing us to, to let go and move on. My birthday is an altar of sort for my mom, reflecting on God's promises. Altars uh, in the Bible are all over the place. These grand gesture moments are all over in the Bible. How about Noah building a really big boat without water? That is big. Go big or go home, right? Uh, Abraham puts Isaac on an altar and prepares the sacrifice. The Israelites circle Jericho seven times. Grand gestures. Uh, Beniah chases a lion into a pit on a snowy day and kills it. One of Mark Batterson's great books about that passage. Esther does a three-day fast. Elisha burns his plows as we're looking at today. James and John drop their nets. Peter gets out of the boat. Zacchaeus climbs up a sycamore fig tree. The Ephesians, oh man, they build a bonfire and they burn their scrolls. All these or grand gestures. And in Win the Day, Mark shares Stuart Kaufman's premise of uh, 
adjacent possibilities. It's called the adjacent possible. In the, the context of this, man, it, it, it's the difference between what is and, and what could be. Sometimes our past success prohibits our, our future potential. We think it's the only way. We don't cut the rope and take new steps of faith. No, only stairs will work. Elevators will never work. Can you imagine the pitches before that world fair? Uh, we attempt to live in the past grand gestures instead of making our way to new ones. And closed doors could be God's way of cutting the rope for us, right? Sometimes our plan B is God's plan A. And we have to discover these adjacent possibilities. I can't help but anticipate this for, for open life. As we continue to move ahead, God's calling us forward and uh, man, what plows must be burned? Like what, what did yesterday look like that the future won't look like? How do we step into God's plan A for us in our future? I don't know if you anticipate that with prayerful living, but I do. All it takes is for us to, to, to let go and move ahead, which is thought too, right? We have to pursue the future. God wants you to get where God wants you to go more than you want to go there, I think. We just have to realize like he's giddy for us to step into the future. Back to grand gestures for just a moment. Um, these are ways for us to pursue our future, right? A couple of the most common grand gestures that we find is uh, if you build it, they will come. Grand gestures, uh, filled to dreams, great movie. Not always the best grand gesture though, right? But it did work. Noah, he built the ark by faith before there was rain. Abraham made a move uh, without even really knowing where he was gonna go. It's, it's the little boy who gives Jesus his brown bag lunch, right? Five loaves and two fish. How did he know that that was gonna feed thousands of people? This is buying a trailer before we had drivers, as I shared last week, right? It's, it's, it's these moments, if you build it, they will come. Doesn't always work out that way. I think one of those grand gestures that's more apt to be present in our life right now is this one. Enough is enough. Have you gotten there at all during this pandemic? It was one year ago that we stopped uh, gathering at the pack, right? Stopped gathering on on Sundays, and I, I look at that and just go, holy moly, enough is enough. You hit this wall, right? You hit this point of no return where it's just, now or never, I've gotta do something. It's David's decision. Uh, you can taunt us for 40 days, but enough is enough. It's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refusing to bow down to a 90-foot statue of Nebuchadnezzar. It's Jesus cursing a barren fig tree that was not producing fruit. Uh, during this pandemic, man, we've had time and time and time to sense enough is enough moments and, uh, and offer some grand gestures before the Lord, if you will, right? Being determined to move forward and plan and pursue the future. For us, that means 
man, I, I need, I need to realize enough is enough. I, you can't stop us from growing as disciples of Jesus, maturing our faith from being a, a spiritual infant through being a child in the faith and an adolescent in the faith to a mature adult in the faith. Like how much are we willing to give up and develop new rhythms in order to do this? Taking an honest look at the last 10 years of open life, we put our faith in that happening in rows. And maybe some people would lean into groups or or circles beyond that. But but we thought in an hour every week, man, we're hoping we can disciple people that they'll be rooted in their faith and nothing can shake them. And 2020 has taught us that we put our trust in something that's valuable. We all need to experience the move of God and worship him for what he's doing in our life. But, but we need to put high priority to the rhythms of our faith and begin to really grow in a relationship with Jesus. If we want true life and peace of mind through a growing relationship with Jesus, are we willing to say, I'm committing to make time to grow my relationship? I need to develop new rhythms. Enough is enough. I'm no longer gonna be a spiritual infant. Man, doesn't matter if we do it digitally or physically, we can grow. We just need to put it as a top priority because that's what's gonna feed our life is our growing relationship with the Lord. Man, Ephesians 2.10 says this, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. When I think of the future, I think God's working on it right now. We live our lives forward, but God is working our lives backward. He knows the future. He knows the opportunities. It's easier for me to pursue the future when I know God has been there in advance. He's been there for me, and it makes me less intimidated. And honestly, I live with more expectancy. It's almost, man, it's just, it, it's just very, it makes me more thankful, and it, it fills my faith to know God is working in advance right now what is in my future. Gratitude is thanking God after he does something, and faith is thanking God before he does it. And when we're going to pursue the future, we need to start thanking him for what he is already preparing for us. Man, our action point this week is the habit, as it has been every week. We need to cut the rope. And an interesting uh, story here, I think, will encourage you as we close. Rodney Gypsy Smith was born on the outskirts of London in 1860, and he had no formal education. He lectured, yet he lectured at Harvard. He grew up in a, a gypsy tent, but he was invited to the White House by two different presidents. He crisscrossed the Atlantic Ocean 45 times, preached the gospel to millions of people, powerfully moved by God. And one day, a group came and asked him, how can God use us the way that he has used you? Now catch, catch this. He said, uh, go home, go home, 
and lock yourself in your bedroom. Then take a piece of chalk and draw a circle on the floor. Then kneel in that circle and pray brokenly and fervently that God would send revival in that circle. Wow. There uh, is where revival starts, right? Revival starts when people of God get in their prayer circle and they pray with that kind of fervor, with that kind of determination and brokenness. Here I am, Lord. My 49 years are a result of such prayer by my mother. A grand gesture, if you would. We need, we need circles more than rows. And circles like this, circles with each other as we deepen our growth in our relationship with Jesus. We need to move forward, cut the rope. The future holds so much for our lives. Man, I, I want us to pray together, but before we pray that God would give you the courage to cut the rope and, and let go and pursue the future, uh, maybe find your adjacent possible or your grand gesture, I want to pray collectively that uh, God would would move mountains in our future as, as a family, as a church. Uh, I want to pray for our diving in deeper to discipleship. Like what is it to be a disciple and grow our relationship with Jesus? And I also want to pray for the spaces to open up that we can worship together. We're worshiping on Saturday mornings and I got to tell you, it, it, it is amazingly beautiful and I would encourage anybody who's ready to step into a physical worship environment to join us but God you know that the rhythms of our community and our lives and can you help us return to a normal rhythm and redevelop a new normal and uh, we want to pray that for our church as well as each other. So uh, let's pray together. God, I thank you for the opportunity we've had to dive into your word. I thank you for Elisha and the demonstration he gives us, uh, and, and both Elisha in cutting a rope, but Elisha in pursuing you with abandon. Man, he burned the plows. He left behind anything that could keep him tethered to the past, and he pursued you with zeal. And I pray that God, we could do the same in our lives, that we would be willing to cut the rope that may be tethering us to what was and that we could pursue our future with boldness. God, I pray for individuals who, who, who need to let go and pursue ahead. God, I pray that you would uh, give them the courage and boldness they need to cut the rope. And the Lord as well, God, I pray for our church. I pray for this family, this body of believers pursuing you. Both those that gather in person and those that are here online on a consistent basis, God, would you help us to dive in personally in rhythms of discipleship like never before. That as we provide opportunity for deeper growth, we would carve out those moments to grow into more of a spiritual adult beyond infancy and childhood of our faith and take our relationship with you deeper. And God, I pray for spaces for our physical gatherings, Lord. We desire to uh, return to Sundays in the future. And I know as the communities are opening up more and more and more, opportunities are gonna present themselves. Give us wisdom, Lord, that we would move in your pace, keeping in step with you,
We give you glory. Thank you that you're watching over us and giving us your boldness in Jesus' name. Amen. Two more habits to bring you in the following weeks. We can't wait to see you next week, weekend. Lord bless. We'll see you then.